Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. My name is Kelly Lepensky, and I am a seminary intern for the summer here at SMCC. And I'm not exactly a new kid on the block, even though I'm here temporarily. I graduated from Azusa Pacific in 2011. And during my time there, I was a volunteer young life leader at San Marino High School for four years. So being back here at San Marino, it feels like a bit of a homecoming. So I'm really glad to be back with you all, even though this church is a new experience for me. I've just been so warmly embraced, so it's great to be here. And this summer here at SMCC, we're exploring stories of faith from all over the Bible. So from ancient texts of the Old Testament to scenes from Jesus's life to compelling moments from my own life as well. And today we're going to look at Psalm 139. But before we dive in, it's important to give our scripture a bit of context. The word psalms, like Alex explained a bit during the simple gospel, it's derived from a Greek term meaning songs. Someone was right, the the little boy, he said, oh, it's it's like a songbook, and he was completely right. Or in the Jewish community, they refer to the book of Psalms as the Tehillim, which means songs of praise. And Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus and his disciples sang hymns, songs of praise, as they left the upper room in Jerusalem for the Mount of Olives. And in the daily morning service in synagogues today, there's introductory praise. They sing psalms as well, and they sing the last five psalms, actually, because they believe that the praise of God should always precede the request that we make of God. So if you were to page through all 150 psalms, you'd notice that many are just that. They are songs of praise, declarations of gratitude and wonder for God's love and faithfulness to humankind. You'd also notice that about one-third of these songs are ancient, unfiltered laments. So kind of the opposite of gratitude. They are expressions of grief, frustration, bewilderment, questioning God without any reservation. And in fact, Walter Brueggemann, who's a wonderfully insightful Old Testament scholar, he says this about songs of complaint and lament. He writes that these kind of psalms are not religious in the sense that they're courteous or polite or deferential, but they're religious only in the sense that they're willing to articulate the chaos of life to the very face of the Holy One. They are willing to articulate the chaos of life to the very face of the Holy One. In other words, the Psalms aren't just examples of how ancient people express their joy and gratitude or hardships and suffering. The Psalms aren't dead lyrics from an old civilization. They are living. They are alive today. And more than that, they are timeless invitations to us right here, right now. The 150 psalms give us permission in 150 different ways to express ourselves to God, to confront God with our anger over injustice, to question God about our pain and our sorrow, and to bring the fullness of what we're thinking and feeling and experiencing to the very face of the Holy One. So listen to these lyrics from Psalm 139, verses 1 through 12. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge, it's too wonderful for me. It's so high, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Please pray with me. Gracious God who abides with us, thank you for being a God that is big enough to sustain not only our lives but also our voices that offer you the fullness of our experiences, be it joy or anguish or anything else. Help our hearts to remain open to your living word through all our days, but also right here in this room. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O God. Amen. So I want to read those last two verses again because they point us back to the very beginning of the Bible, to the very first chapter of Genesis. Psalm 139, verses 11 and 12, make the following claim. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. So there are two beautiful things about these verses. But the first one I want to unpack is that the psalmist is expressing their confidence in God's ability to separate the darkness from the light, both in a literal sense and a metaphorical one. And this is where the psalmist alludes to Genesis, to the very first book of the Bible. When the psalmist uses the word darkness, they're using the Hebrew word hoshek, which can literally refer to the dark, the absence of light, or it can refer, refer to destruction, death, sorrow, being overwhelmed by life's uncertainties. And the very first time Hoshek appears in scripture is in Genesis 1, which describes the creation of the world. It states that God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the Hoshek, the darkness, and God called the light day and the Hoshek he called night. See, Hoshek is a word that stirs the memory of God's people. And even us right here in this room, you don't have to know Hebrew to have your memory stirred because we can recall that God is a creative God who has the incredible ability to separate the day from the night. In Genesis 1, just like in Psalm 139, we witness that God gives order to the chaos of the world and that God gives order to the chaos of our lives. Now, it may not always happen in the ways we expect. 
and it doesn't always happen in the ways we may hope. But when it does come, it is profound, unmistakable. It's supernatural. That is, it's beyond our own capability. We say supernatural because ordinary circumstances somehow, some way, produce extraordinary results. And this is the mystery of God's love at work. Or as Walter Brueggemann, our Old Testament scholar, describes it, and our psalm says this too, it's the hand of God moving us through the transitional passages of life, from orientation to disorientation to reorientation. Which is where the second beautiful thing about Psalm 139 comes into play. As I was reading this, studying, doing some research, I couldn't help but think of the story of the hemorrhaging woman from Luke 8 and how she finds herself in such a vulnerable state of disorientation. For 12 years, 12 years, that's a long time, she's been bleeding unpredictably on a daily basis. And in Jesus' time in the first century, her medical condition had major consequences for her life. See, there were religious rules regarding who was clean or pure. So who was clean enough to worship at the temple or even show their face in public? And these rules were strictly enforced under Roman military occupation. So life in Galilee, where this woman lived, it was tense because these religious laws altered people's lives every day in very real ways, where they came and went or where they were forbidden to go. So because of her consistent bleeding, this woman was forbidden, absolutely forbidden to participate in the life of her community. She couldn't be here today. She might not even be able to do her grocery shopping. And I can hardly imagine anyone's life being more affected than the woman whose medical condition required her own family, her neighbors, members of her local synagogue to completely ignore her presence, to even avoid her altogether. I can't help but wonder what this woman, who endured so much public and private scorn, thought of the Psalms. Like Psalm 46 that states, God is our ever-present help. Seems a little too optimistic sometimes when for 12 years you have been suffering. I wonder if she believed that, that God was her ever-present help. Do I believe that? If I'm honest, I've struggled to feel the truth of that in different times of disorientation in my life. Like when I moved 3,000 miles across the country to begin seminary. I drove from Seattle, Washington, all the way to Princeton, New Jersey, And what followed in that first year was an intense season of loneliness and doubt and even some despair. I left all that I loved in my rearview mirror, and I felt the weight of my decision for those nine months, those long nine months. So I wonder what the bleeding woman might think of our passage that speaks of God discerning our thoughts and our actions, of a God who knows us better than we know ourselves. Did she believe that God heard her desperate prayer for healing and communal belonging? I wonder if she trusted God or how she could trust God after suffering 12 long years of rejection and humiliation and most likely infertility because of her constant bleeding. When 
You're no longer alive to your own life because defeat feels so final. When you're stuck in the hoshek, the darkness, is it still possible to experience God's presence? The woman dared to believe so. And so does our psalmist, who writes that if I ascend to heaven or make my bed in Sheol, God, you are there. And the psalmist writes that God is at the farthest limits of the sea, which means the outer edges of our joy and anguish and doubt. And perhaps the bleeding woman even dared to hope in Psalm 139, knowing that she could bring her suffering to the very face of the Holy One, to our God who has the ability to separate the Hoshek from the light. After all, Luke, Luke tells us this. He writes that though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. That's a state of hopelessness, of disorientation. She sought help in every possible place she knew. After 12 years of chronic distress, hearing rumors that the life-altering, life-restoring rabbi will be making his way through town, of course, this woman seeks out Jesus, seeks out this holy, mysterious healer. She's played all her high cards and still comes up empty-handed until she reaches for the fringes of Jesus. Her audacious act of hope in the total otherness of Jesus compels Jesus to ask a question. Who touched me? This is the question which ushers the woman forward closer so she can hear what Jesus names her. And he calls her daughter. He welcomes her back in to the human family that has isolated her for 12 long years. And then he offers her a benediction of peace. He says, your faith has made you well. Shalom. This is a moment of reorientation, away from hopelessness and towards physical and relational wholeness for this woman. So if you look at Psalm 139, you'll see that it's titled The Inescapable God, but not because God is some kind of spy watching us from behind the clouds, waiting for us to slip up, to write us a ticket for some kind of immorality we've committed. That's completely false. That is so far from the truth. Because what the psalmist means by inescapable is that God is our ever-present, ever-faithful, ever-loving help that moves us through the chaos, through the hoshek of our lives, through disorientation. And Eugene Peterson writes this. The promise of the Psalms, and both Hebrews and Christians have always read it this way, is not that we shall never stub our toes, but that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress or chronic bleeding for 12 years no divorce, no death, no diagnosis. We'll be able to separate to be able to separate us from God's purposes in us. See the Psalms and the story of the bleeding woman attest to the character of God. That God has never been in the business of abandoning humankind. God accompanies us, is present with us, even through the valley of the shadow of death. 
Our God is forever at work as the epitome of mystery and love and grace, moving through our ordinary circumstances to create extraordinary results with God's great patience and love. This is the God we can call upon, the Holy One who was and is and will be our ever-present help. And this is the God who is waiting to hear your voice. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us.